The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. So I want to, to start off asking a couple of questions. My, my first, the questions are very similar. The wording will change just slightly. What is something that is easy to agree with and then easy to put into practice? All right. So a statement that's easy to agree with and then easy to put into practice. I was trying to think about it this week and I was actually having kind of a, a hard time coming up with some, but I think I got to some that hopefully we can almost universally 100% of the people agree on and then put into practice. The first one would be it is good to breathe oxygen. Right? Okay, I hope that all of us, I hope I have 100% agreement in the room that it is good to breathe oxygen. And then hopefully we put that into practice. Um, there's probably not even a way that you can't put that into practice for many of us, you know. We can hold our breath as long as we can, and then eventually we're just kind of forced to breathe by the way our body operates. So it's good to breathe oxygen. We all believe it, and we all put it into practice. Now, one that I, I don't know if I have 100% of the room on, but I I'm, hope I'm super close, is it's good to drink water. It's good to drink water. Something like 55 or 60% of our body is made up of water, so it's good to consume it. We need it, but I know there's probably you guys out there, I don't know what you do to get in your water, but I'm, you're drinking juice or you're drinking hopefully unsweet tea and not sweet tea. Soda definitely doesn't count. Uh, for you guys in the room that, you know, we, we need water. We need to consume water in some way. I, I hated water growing up when we went to, uh, I don't know if I'm dating myself. Do people still go to Applebee's? I know we have one here in Greer. I don't know if I've ever been to that Applebee's. But I used to love going to Applebee's after church growing up. I would just drink Dr. Pepper after Dr. Pepper. I don't know if that hydrated me, but somehow I survived as a child. I definitely cannot do that today. We, I have to drink water. So that's my first question. What is something easy to agree with that we all have to put into practice? The second question is, what is something that is easy to agree with, but difficult to put into practice? This one, I felt like I could come up with way more answers. Easy to agree with, difficult to put into practice. The first one that popped up in my head was the speed limits are good. Speed limits are good. I hope all of us agree the speed limits are good. We all need speed limits, okay? I, don't, I think we, it's a good, gracious gift of God that he's given us a government that puts speed limits out on the roads. Now, I'm sure all of you disagree with the speed limits that are out on the roads. Some of us have an easier time practicing the speed limits than others. I won't name any names. Certain of you guys I'm a little afraid to, to drive in the car with. I'm a little bit of a grandpa when I, when I drive myself. Another easy thing, I think, to agree with, but maybe harder to put into practice, is brushing your teeth or flossing, that it is good. We maybe all agree with it. Maybe we don't all practice it quite as well as we should. Eating right and exercise, these are good things, but maybe hard to put into practice. Even the idea for a husband to date your wife. What husband doesn't want to spend time with his wife, what husband doesn't want to love and care for and woo and pursue and love and spend time with his wife. But then it's not always easy to put into practice. There's kids and there's work 
and it's 8 o'clock, and I'm just tired, and we just need to fall asleep, and, you know, we just go about the end of our days. What is something easy to agree with but hard to put into practice? I think our passage this morning really shows one that is very strong. Something easy to agree with but hard to put into practice. The most basic summary of this passage is that you serve your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. Who in this room is anti-serving? Who in this room is like, nope, we should never serve anyone. I don't want anyone serving me, and I don't want to serve anyone. Now, maybe somewhere in there we have a hard time with people serving us or something in that vein, but we... I think, hopefully, I don't know if we're 95% of the room or 99% of the room or 100% of the room, that serving your neighbor is good, but it's not always easy to put into practice. So let's look at Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at the first two verses, and in your insert in your bulletin, there's a few kind of highlighted notes. The first principle that we're going to look at from the first two verses is that the strong serve their weak neighbors. The strong serve their weak neighbors. Now, ultimately, this morning, we're talking about singing, but you're going to have to work with me for just a few minutes to kind of get to the pinnacle of why this is all about singing. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So we have this language of the strong and the weak that are in uh, kind of verse 1. And then kind of pushes into the rest of our uh, section this morning. And when we think about strong and weak, obviously probably the, the first thing that comes to mind is just physical strength or physical weakness. But one important part when reading the scriptures is we want to take into account the context. What is being said around these verses that we're talking about? So if you kind of flip back and go to the exact same verses, but in chapter 14, Chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, we get to learn a little bit about what it means to be strong and what it means to be weak. Chapter 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So, we think about strength and weakness in, in relation to this chapter, in relation to this section, has to do with our faith in Christ. What does our faith in Christ look like? Is it strong or is it weak? Now, in chapter 14, the whole section is talking about what foods can people eat. People have struggled in, in this time eating certain food that is sacrificed to idols. Their conscience doesn't give them the freedom to eat certain foods, while other people feel that they have freedom to eat certain foods that have been sacrificed to idols. And these foods that are sacrificed are then often determined to be ceremonially unclean. So certain people are okay with eating these ceremonially unclean uh, sacrifices, and other people are not. The other discussion in chapter 14 is about what day to worship on. Do we worship on Saturday? Do we worship on Sunday? What day are we allowed to worship on? I don't know how many of you have been with us. What is it now? Probably two, two years now, two and a half years since we worshiped on Saturdays 
outside in the very hot mornings of June, July, and August at Resurrection Church. We felt we were okay. Our faith was in Christ that we could worship on Saturdays and then obviously on Sundays. So when Paul's talking about the strong and the weak, he's really referring to kind of the liberty of conscience. What foods can people eat? What days of worship are people okay uh, worshiping Jesus on? Now, people have freedom of conscience. We all have kind of a liberty of conscience. It's a statement that we have in our statement of faith. But the liberty of conscience still brings obligations to those that we love. We still have obligations to care for those around us, even if we differ on what foods we can eat, what days of week we are to worship, you know, what things can we partake in, what things should we not partake in. C.S. Lewis has a quote in Mere Christianity. He says, One of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up a thing himself without wanting everyone else to give it up. That is not the Christian way. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons. Marriage, or meat, or beer, or a love. He's clearly writing 70, 80 years ago. Give up the cinema. But the moment he starts saying the things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose at other people who do not use them, he has taken the wrong turning. So our consciences are bound by what the Spirit kind of moves us in. Obviously, there are certain things that are clearly out of bounds. Premarital relations, extramarital relations, those are clearly out of bounds. But what foods we eat, what days we worship in, maybe we have uh, some, some liberty of conscience to make different decisions. But ultimately, uh, backing up one verse from chapter 15 into the last verse of chapter 14, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Everything that we make a decision on is to proceed from faith. I think about, when we think about the strong and we think about the weak, I think about a passage like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and then maybe the five or six verses after it, where Paul talks about that the church is given apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds. Essentially, these people kind of raised up to then care for the body, to equip the body, ultimately so that the body is not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that they are cared for, that they are protected, that the leaders provide a certain amount of structural integrity. So when we think about, even in this passage, the the language that is used in verse 1, bear with your neighbor's failings or shortcomings. Paul exhorts those who are strong, who maybe uh, have been elevated. Obviously, all of us in this room, we differ in our maturity. We differ in our spiritual maturity. But those who are stronger are to bear with your neighbor's shortcomings. Verse 2, we are to please our neighbors, not ourselves. You are to build your neighbor up. And then verse 1, the whole, the whole beginning starts on that this is obligatory. This is an obligation upon every believer. So the strong are to care for the weak. The best example I could think of this is just parenthood. By nature of being a parent, we are to provide structural integrity for our children. 
You think about the questions that a two-year-old or a three-year-old ask. It clearly shows their weakness or their, you know, kind of inability to process how life works. But then a question that a two- or three-year-old asks, if the same question is asked by an eight-year-old, is asked by a 12-year-old, is asked by a 15-year-old, is asked by a 30-year-old, is asked by a 50-year-old, that obviously carries different weights to it or may just be totally inappropriate because we expect a certain level of maturity as we grow. I was thinking about, you know, my daughter who's two, uh, coming up on three. You know, she, she loves to, uh, you know, ask people and then tell people when she's done it. She loves to say, you know, can I go, or she makes the proclamation, I need to go pee-pee. I need to go pee-pee. And then once she does it, she'll say, you know, she'll come and she'll tell Trevor, like, Trevor, I went pee-pee. And it's like, for a two-and-a-half-year-old, it's like, wow, that's amazing. Like, high-five, clap your hands, let's, you know, celebrate it. But if I go up to Trevor and say, I just went pee-pee, how awesome is that? There's a little bit of a difference in my younger, you know, more childlike daughter going to Trevor and saying that than me going there and saying that. That would clearly maybe show a different level of maturity or strength that is present or not present in me. I think about if you're a, a parent in the room, uh, probably, you know, especially a mom, but also a dad, the books you read, the songs you sing, you probably don't get to quite read the books that you used to read all of the time. You don't quite get to sing your favorite songs. Uh, you guys know um, I love country music. Elisa told me a song I was supposed to bring up this Sunday, but I don't even remember what it was. Oh yeah, praying in a praying in a deer stand. Okay, I, I was supposed to bring that in and tie that in somehow for singing, and I didn't. I didn't do it. But I love country music. We don't quite listen to country music when we're driving around with our kids anymore. We, you know, are listening to Slugs and Bugs and whatever other songs that we come up with. We cater to our children. We're willing to care for them. The strong are willing to serve the weak. Or thinking about even books, uh, Casey, when we went out to Parents Morning Out yesterday, we went to Maverick City Biscuit, had a delicious biscuit, and I asked her, we, we had these fun questions on our phone that we like to ask when we go out on a date, and the question, one of them yesterday was, what would you do, what's your favorite summer activity? And Casey said, to sit on the beach under an umbrella reading a fiction book with no kids running around. She doesn't get to read a fiction book really anymore because we have to cater to our children who can't just run around freely because we know, especially Sam, is just going to run into the ocean. So we have to be on our guard, ready to serve our weaker ones. If you look on your, on your bulletin or in your, in your handout, kind of at the bottom, I'm going to skip from kind of the top to the, to the bottom to give kind of our main point of application for verses 1 and 2 is serve your neighbors. Serve your neighbors. We are to serve our neighbors. Our kids are our neighbors. Jonathan and Hannah did an awesome podcast on that recently. Our adults are our neighbors. The people sitting around you are our neighbors, our coworkers, and then obviously our physical neighbors based on wherever we live. So this strengthens and matures them and us as we serve our neighbors. So why are we to serve our neighbors? Kind of the second main point going back up to the middle of the page. Jesus served his weak neighbors. Jesus served his weak neighbors. 
Verses 3 and 4 in chapter 15 of Romans. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So Jesus serves his weak neighbors. This is seen most clearly for me in Mark chapter 10 verse 45. Mark chapter 10 verse 45. For even the son of man, aka Jesus, came not to be served, but to, many of you guys know it, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life for you and for me. He laid down his life, ultimately, for his weaker neighbors, all of us, all people who have lived throughout all of time. And what an example that we have of self-denial. This is really the greatest example of self-denial. Jesus, God incarnate of all the people who do not deserve the condemnation of people of the Jews of ultimately receiving the father's wrath of receiving all people's sin upon him Christ is the one who did not need to bear it but you and me Jew and Gentile alike we have put Christ on the cross And ultimately, he denied himself in order to serve us. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, uh, Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 9. Where Christ essentially becomes the speaker, and the you that he speaks to is the Father. And he says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. When the father was mocked or scorned or belittled or criticized or insulted, all of those fell upon Christ. You and I have ultimately insulted Christ with our sin. And yet all of that he has taken on himself. And verse 3 tells us that he did not please himself. He did not please himself, but he takes the insults, he takes the mockeries, he bears that in his body for you and for me. All the insults, all the mockery that has ever been directed towards the Father, Jesus takes upon himself. And then Paul shows us that the scripture, that all of the scripture that has been written, Old Testament and New Testament, everything that tells us about Jesus. It has been written for our instruction, our encouragement, and our endurance. It is good news that is meant to serve us. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who brings hope. Jesus is the one that we derive our hope and our joy from. But this hope doesn't come by us pulling our bootstraps up, strapping ourselves in, and just willing ourselves to have hope. But Paul shows us that we can rejoice in God, that we can delight in Jesus, 
that the endurance and the encouragement that the scriptures bring, bring hope. God has been insulted. Christ has been insulted. Ultimately, Paul is insulted. And there's almost this implication that the church will be insulted. And yet, Paul says that we can be encouraged. That we can have endurance because of what the scriptures say. So our application, kind of jumping back down in the, in the insert in your bulletin, serve your neighbors because Christ served you. Because Christ served you. So we are to serve our neighbors. We are to care for our neighbors. The motivation for that comes because Christ has given his life for us. And now what do we do? Well, the third principle God brings harmony in the church for his glory. God brings harmony in the church for his glory. And this is where we're going to think about our singing. Let's read verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So the scriptures in verse 4 are told, we're told bring endurance, bring encouragement, they bring about hope because of Christ. And then the same exact language is used of God in verse 5. In many ways, the scripture and God go hand in hand. And then Paul essentially prays in verses 5 and 6, that the church would have harmony, would have unity, that they would be in one accord with each other and with Christ. And that this unity would bring about praise, would bring about glorifying the Father, would bring about really singing with one voice. When we think about the word harmony, when we think about unity, harmony and unity really fuel our singing. As we in this room have harmony, as we are united together with one uh, voice, we want to sing out. We want to proclaim who Christ is. And yet, our singing brings about harmony. As we sing, we are united together. I don't, I don't understand how singing works. I'm a terrible singer, but I know obviously harmony is a thing that is looked for. Nick will always talk about the harmonies are, are beautiful. I don't understand how any of that works. But we know that harmony is good. Harmony brings about singing, and singing brings about harmony. It brings about unity. Now we hope that when we gather as a body on a Sunday morning, much as we are gathered this morning... I hope and I pray that you are encouraged, that you are transformed, that you mature as a disciple of Christ. But ultimately, our gathering is not centrally about you. It is centrally about Christ, and then kind of practically working out, it is centrally about the body being gathered together to worship the Lord. It is not simply about your private worship experience. Now last week, Trevor had us in Colossians chapter 3. And there is a vertical 
nature to us gathering. We want to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. We want to work on our vertical relationship with the Lord in our singing. But equally as important is our horizontal relationship with the church. We don't do life in isolation. Being a Christian alone is in many ways, obviously there, there can be that, especially maybe in persecuted places, in places that are um, more unreached. But to be a Christian in isolation is, is, is you know, almost an, an oxymoron. It, it, it doesn't make sense. We wouldn't hold to it. And the reason we can even see it is in Colossians chapter 3, Trevor's passage last week. All of the imperatives, all of the things we're told to do, all of the verbs, they're all plural. They're written for all of us. They're written for a group of people, not just for individuals. Now, in our songs, sometimes we do sing I or me. We sing personal pronouns. Israel did the same thing in the Old Testament. You'll be able to go and find I and me language. But many times that is referring to a corporate group. It's referring to the people of Israel proclaiming we have unity and we have such unity that we can sing I and we can sing me. And there's great beauty when we as the church fill the same space, we fill this beautiful space with the same poetry, with the same theology, with the same melody, with the same prayers, with the same songs. We as a church, we are not hoping to operate uh, like we, like all of us may do in our own cars. I know when you're driving around, a lot of us feel more freedom to sing um, and listening to whatever you're listening to, but the windows are rolled up, maybe they're rolled down, maybe you're belting it with the, with the windows rolled down as you're driving about. We don't want to be isolated cars where we're all just kind of in our own cars, doing our own thing, singing our own way. This is also not, you know, if you uh, like to sing in front of the you know, bathroom mirror as you're getting ready you know, in the morning and you're belting it out there. It's like when we gather, we want to have our most beautiful singing. We want to sing the loudest and proclaim with the most joy when we are gathered together as a body, when we are worshiping Christ together. And so when we choose songs, we have three main criteria. The first two, Trevor really hit on last week, so I'll, I'll kind of skim over them. The first one is, is the song beautiful? So this is when we're thinking about what songs are we going to sing when the gathered saints are together of Ridgewood Church? Is the song beautiful? Is it a song that we just can't help but sing? Now, we don't want to bring about emotional manipulation, but we do hope a song helps us to delight in God. We hope it brings praise to God. We hope it's beautiful. The second one, is the song true? And I love Trevor's picture last week. There's a difference in a song being true and being not false. We hope that the song brings oomph to it in the, in the doctrine that it proclaims, in the prayers that we pray through our songs. We want the song to be true. But then the third one, and really our focus for this week, is the song singable? Is the song singable? Are we able to have harmony? Are we able to, to sing with one voice? 
Are we able to sing together, praising and glorifying God? Is the song meant to be sung by a group, or is it meant to be sung by one expert, uh, you know, professional singer? We want to sing songs that we can sing as a group, that we can proclaim, that we can sing out. Because there is so much beauty when the body sings, when groups of people sing. If you are a member of Ridgewood, uh, you would have gotten in the newsletter this week at the top of it. Trevor included this clip from an NFL game last Sunday. Um, I don't even know who was playing. I don't watch any football. It was being played in Munich, Germany. And there's just this incredible scene. It's coming down the last couple minutes, and the game is super close. And yet, all of these people dressed in all of these different jerseys are holding each other and swaying, singing John Denver's Take Me Home. These people in Munich, Germany are singing about Take Me Home to West Virginia. I love the back roads in West Virginia. And it's just amazing. It's this amazing video. And even the announcers are just dumbfounded. They're not even, they stop announcing the game and they start singing. We think about, it's, it's not, it's very normal at an NFL game, at a college football game, to sing out. And I'm assuming, it seems like, did the Gamecocks win the national championship last night? I haven't seen so much Gamecock, Gamecock paraphernalia around here uh, in, a, in a long time. Um, it, at a college football game, I'm sure all of yesterday, there's just singing out. There's proclamation. There's, there's joy to be had. I think about my, my preferred sporting event is the Premier League. It's, it's played, played in England Saturday mornings. If you come to my house, Casey and I might be, you know, singing out. We might be singing our arsenal chants because there's something beautiful about being a part of a group, being united, and singing out with joy. Or I think about a concert. It's almost, it almost doesn't even make sense to me. To go to a concert, what we first do is we listen to the musician on the radio or on our phones or, you know, whatever, if you have an iPod, whatever you're doing, uh, you're listening to the songs, you're learning the songs, and you want to know them before you then go to the concert. But then at the concert, we don't listen to the expert sing, what do you do at a concert? For some reason, we sing out. We can't help but sing out because we love the song. We love the atmosphere. We love the person up there singing. All of you guys buying Taylor Swift concerts, you know, tickets this week. that You guys can probably resell and pay your mortgage for like six months. Um, we, you, people are going to go to Taylor Swift concerts and they're just going to sing out. And there's going to be less almost listening to her. There's going to be more just singing out. There's something beautiful about singing together. And that is why on Sundays for us, we don't have low light in here. We want to have it bright. We want to have you guys seeing each other. We try to find a sweet tone where Nick and the band are just a little bit above the crowd so that we can hear them, but ultimately we can hear each other as we sing, as we proclaim, as we worship the Lord. This is not simply about our personal experience. So in our corporate worship, we want to see harmony. We want to sing together because the primary instrument is us. The primary instrument is the body of Christ. So the, one of the beauties in singing is that we can embrace all of our differences. All of our differences, all of us have different physical abilities to sing and all, obviously all of us are different just by nature of being humans 
and yet we can fight for unity. When I think about singing, it's really hard to hate or to resent your neighbor that you may differ on politics with, you may differ on your favorite sports team, you may differ on when can you sing Christmas songs, I'm a November 1st kind of guy, a lot of us in here are Thanksgiving, when can you put up Christmas decor, we may differ on all of those things, and that's great. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to sing the doxology together. We're going to praise Jesus together. We're going to worship the Lord together, because that is first and foremost of importance. I mean, it was just beautiful last week at the members meeting, having Nick lead us in that first song, and then Zach leading us in the doxology, and just being able to hear each other's voices praise Christ together. That is what we want to do every time we gather as the body. And verse 7 really gives us the beautiful summary. We welcome one another, ultimately, because Christ welcomes you. Christ welcomes you. However you come, weak and heavy laden, burdened, filled with sin to our very core, there's the opportunity that we have to believe on the Lord Jesus, to trust in him for salvation, and we can be brought back in. All of us in this room were either once alienated from Christ or we are alienated from Christ. If you once were alienated from Christ, but you have confessed Jesus as Lord and you follow him, I pray that you will sing with such joy because Christ has transformed you. Literally, a miracle has happened. Your dead heart has become alive. And if you are alienated from Christ, if you do not follow Jesus, if you are not a disciple of Christ... You can call upon him today as Lord and as Savior. The Spirit works to transform our hearts. And you can join with us with one voice singing praises to the God of all creation who deserves our worship and our praise. Colossians 1, Christ has reconciled and redeemed us. He has made us right. Colossians 2, our debt has been put on the cross. Our debt of sin that you and I can never pay has been put on the cross. So our last point on our insert in our bulletin, our big application. Last week it was sing. This week it is sing together. Sing together. Sing up to God and sing out where your brothers and sisters can hear you, can be encouraged by you. And I ask you that you actually sing. Men in the room, it is very easy for us to to not sing or just to kind of mouth the words. I want to hear you singing. Let us sing. Let us proclaim out. Your wife needs to see you singing. Your kids need to see you singing. Your friends and your coworkers, whoever are sitting beside you, need to see you singing, worshiping the Lord. And we're going to have the opportunity to do that in just a minute. Women, please sing out. Let us hear your beautiful voices. Kids in the room, grab your own bulletin when you come in and hold that bulletin. If you can read and let's sing. Let's sing out. Parents, let's help our kids listen to the songs. We, all, we post the songs 
I don't know, on Instagram and varieties of places before we're going to sing. Listen to those songs as we come in so our kids can sing them. We want to hear their voices. I have become more and more convinced over these last few months, especially being in here, that there is something beautiful about the gathered body together singing. It might be the best evangelistic tool we have. It's, a, it's wonderful and amazing, and we want to go out, and we want to proclaim the gospel. We want to go knock on our doors, neighbor, neighbor's doors. We want to get to know coworkers. We want to get to know our neighbors. We want to share the gospel. But how magnificent for a person who does not believe in the Lord Jesus to come in here, to walk in here, heavy laden, burdened by whatever they're burdened with, to sit and then to hear voices sing to the Lord our God joyfully. They have to ask, what is going on here? Why are people singing like this? So let us sing joyfully. I'm going to invite the band to, to go ahead and come back up here. We kind of purposefully even did kind of a, a, a lesser band, or I guess acoustic would probably be the name for it this week, so that we can hear each other, so that we can sing for each other. So Paul has encouraged us that the statement at the bottom, you should have it already written in, but Paul has encouraged us in this passage in Romans 15 that we are to serve your neighbors because Christ has served you. And what is one great way to serve your neighbors? Sing together. Sing together. We can serve each other by joining together with one voice proclaiming who Christ is. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you so grateful that we have the opportunity to study your word. So grateful that Christ has welcomed us as sinful, broken human beings. Jesus, our sin puts you on the cross. And yet Colossians 2 makes very clear that it was your joy to take our debt. And our debt has been nailed to the cross. And yet the cross is not the end. We have hope because of the resurrection. New life has come. Hearts have been made new. Lord, help us to worship you this morning. Help our hearts to be changed. Help us to be filled with joy. And help us to sing out. We love you. Amen.